Live from the home office of Ag Solutions Network, it's the Ag Emerge Podcast. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soils, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for joining us today for the Ag Emerge podcast. We're headed southwest as Monty visits with Tristan Wright, a farmer from rural Arizona. Monty and Tristan have a great discussion about learning how to explore new methods for sustaining and rebuilding the soil in some pretty challenging conditions. They talk about thinking differently, adopting new practices, and troubleshooting challenges as well as they arise, and we all know they will. It's pretty breezy for the outdoor portion of this episode, but Monty takes cover out of the wind to give us an update and summarize their conversation, so check it out. All right, I'd like to welcome you all to this edition of the Aggie Merge podcast. Today we're in the field with Tristan Wright with Wright Grade in uh, rural Arizona and his Ag Solutions Network member uh, representative, Isaac Oliva with Rio Colorado Export. So we're out in a field where Tristan has uh, taken a step towards cover crops. So how common is cover crops here in, in this part of the country? Uh, pretty much zero common. Uh, <laughs> no one really does it. Uh, uh, after talking to you, you know, it kind of something we became interested in um, working on uh, taking taking advantage of the things that you guys talked about as far as your unfair advantage and uh, growing growing temperatures and sunlight is one of our um, advantages here. Um, so this is one of the sunniest spots in the United States, right? And yes. You, and you can grow crops here 12 months out of the year. Yeah. We're, something's always growing. Yeah. We're always farming something somewhere. Um, if, if there's not a crop in, we're transitioning to the next one. Um, <clears throat> I had some open ground. Uh, usually I go to Durham wheat here, but with Durham wheat prices being poor, um, we tried, decided to try something else. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of risk involved because alternative was poor wheat market anyway so that encourages uh trying different things when when uh, there's not too many ramifications poor ramifications so so what you've got in this location here this is a really sandy soil i'm going to bend down and pick some up but for most people help us understand what what you've got going on here this is we're up on a table a mesa above the the gila river valley Right, so down in the valley, it's a higher clay content, silt clay content, and up here, this is more of a, a sandy, sandy soil as we can we can see here. Correct. Uh, this is up on the mesa. Some of the heavier, nicer produce ground is down in the valley. Uh, a, lot, a lot better water holding capacity uh, up here. Crop options are limited. Um, uh, this is a well farm, so we have five wells that work in unison with each other uh, just to get across get across this ground. Um, Water is very salty. Uh, water is between three and thirty-five hundred parts per million. Okay. Uh, so salinity and salt management is always an issue. Okay. Um, so Even though it is sandy, you're still dealing with salt because of the concentration of salts that you have in the water that you're irrigating. Correct. Correct. If 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 the ground was better and we didn't have to use as much water, you wouldn't be we, applying. We, we would. Yeah, we wouldn't be applying as much. We'd probably have salt issues. So. Kind of okay. in for a diamond for a dollar as far as <laughs> you just go. pour the water to it 
So typical crops you grow up here, you have some seed alfalfa here. Got some alfalfa for seed. Uh, we're going to be planting, planting a few acres of alfalfa for hay production. Uh, pretty limited because we try to mix it up as far as we do have some flat ground crops here as you see like this. Uh, we've got some Bermuda grass planted up here. Um, but then we also try to mix it up with some row crops just for uh, irrigation efficiency as far as, as far as getting across the acres in an acceptable amount of time. Okay. So typically I bet with this much sandy soil, uh, if you get a wind here and dry out the surface, you were talking about possibly needing to irrigate this right now, not because the plants necessarily need it, but because this could get dry enough and actually blow and, and shear the plants off just because you haven't had an opportunity in the past with crop rotations and tillage to accumulate a protective layer, correct? Right. Any, and the, as far as, as, far as um, the sin of naked, exposed soil, the ramifications are especially obvious in situations like this because of the blowing sand. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a pretty decent sand coming up here. You can see behind us, uh, it looks better towards the south. But the farther you get away from any windbreaks, you can see that the stand doesn't look quite as good. And I attribute that to probably moving sand, damaging these little seedlings when they're in a pretty uh, soft state. Um, so sometimes we put water across it just to keep the try to keep the blowing sand down when these plants are at a very critical stage. So you were telling me you planted in here. Uh, it's a five-way. You, you use your uh, Great Plains drill, Great right? Plains that, drill. that can be adapted to no-till, which Isaac is, and, and you guys are working on right now to figure out what the best way is to do that. Um, and it's a five or six-way mix of different seeds that you have in there. We saw some annual ryegrass. Go ahead and what all you got in there? Oats, barley. Yeah, we've got some beardless barley. Um, we've got oats. We've got beardless wheat. Uh, we also have a tetrapoid rye. And then I'm expecting some volunteer alfalfa for the previous alfalfa seed crop to come up eventually. So your plan is to get this to grow up to improve soil conditions, and then you're going to hay it. Going to hay it. And in order to have that hay, then to sell to a local feedlot as you know that they need roughage for their for their feeders. And then after that, you're looking at going into near and, and my right. We're going to experiment with some no-till on Bermuda grass. Right, right. We'll come in after we after we hay this, uh, we'll take it off. We'll probably flash an irrigation across it. Um, see what we'll see what kind of regrowth we have after we hay it. If we have a significant amount of regrowth, we may try to hay it again. Um, if it kind of stops in its tracks, which I'm guessing that's what it's going to do when it heats up here, um, we'll probably no-till in some Bermuda grass. Uh, so that's one thing we did is, is before we put in this cover crop, we did a really good job laser leveling this ground with a little bit of fall and slope into it um, with the with the idea that we're not going to bring a laser in here to move any massive amounts of dirt for hopefully for the next 10 years. So the, you did all that tillage prep work to get the field correct, put the cover crop in in order to help kind of recover from those tillage activities. But then after that, you're counting on the cover crop to make the soil conditions soft enough and and uh, good enough for for the drill to go right into and do that. Correct, and the ground and the ground cover and the ground cover the cover crop is going to help us immensely because up here on the mesa, sometimes we don't like to get up here and get ahead of ourselves and get work done prior to planting because if you get up here, get it all lasered, ready to plant, but you don't have your planting date isn't for two or three weeks, you get a couple of windstorms. Oh, and, and it'll actually level. it'll blow our field. Oh up. my goodness! So wow! So yeah, so it's it's. You know, you're waiting, and then you hurry up, get it done, and then hurry up and wait for it to come out of the ground and 
try to get established where the wind moves. Okay, so cover crops, which nobody's really doing, paying of cover crops, which probably definitely never has been done as a revenue source, and then no-tilling in Bermuda grass, that's probably not been done before. No, I'm and guessing. and we're we're, we're utilizing biosolids. And uh, okay, okay. So we're we're trying to use every trick we can to because essentially you're you're carbon short on this because of, of the sand and soil and the heat and salinity. It's just the carbon status of this is well below one percent. I would assume. Absolutely, it's below one percent, and and the biosolids are kind of a saving grace because it's one way we can put. Organic matter. Pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty large amounts of carbon back into the soil. Okay. So walk me through a little bit on all these changes that you've made. Why? Uh, why, why do you like to be different? Why do you, what, what, what motivates you to do these things that probably your neighbors, if they, you know, plus now he, he's done this on a field that is off the beaten path. So, you know, he won't have so many neighbors giving him a hard time. Would that be, would that be said? <laughs> That's I'm, always a good place to experiment, right? <laughs> I've made some of my worst mistakes right, right, next, of, the road. right next to the road. Well, I always do too. Yeah, you know. So, uh, so a lot. Some people know when my stuff fails before I do. Uh, my phone will ring. <laughs> and and that didn't work. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what you see. I guess it didn't. <laughs> so I guess it's not. Uh, it's not being afraid to fail. You um, paradigm. Yeah, new paradigm um, as far as experimenting with different things. Um, what I was what I was doing prior wasn't working. I didn't really like my financial returns. Um, this this branch is rented, um, and rather than and rather than throwing the towel, we're trying some radically different approaches to see if we can get some radically different results. Um, so we're we're not afraid to fail, and even in failing, if we learn something new, we try to mark it off as a success. And hopefully it didn't cost a little bit. Right. Right. Ho- hopefully the tuition yeah. <laughs> to failure university wasn't too expensive. Right. right. But, Correct. but if you are trying these things, how, how do you ever learn? That's right. That's that your attitude on it. That's right. And, okay. and, and even, even during a new endeavor, a new project, uh, before you get to the bottom of the page, we learn quite a bit just delving in and, and uh, getting the different things in the ground and trying new things. Um, Tell you a lot of stuff that works, a lot of stuff that doesn't work, um, and there's usually a lot of stories, the stories in between. So, talk to me a little bit about you're considering because of the cost of pumping water here and those kind of things. You're considering putting in drip tape to be more efficient at, at that long term. How does that work into your system here? And then, and plus, when you go to drip tape, you're also limited on the tillage that you can do too with the tape installed. How do you? How does that play into what you're looking at doing in the future? One one advantageous thing about being up here on the mesa is that it's pretty deep soil as far as sand goes. Uh, it's sand on the top foot, and if you go down three to thirty foot, it's sand there too. So it's pretty uniform, uniformly. Uh, um, <laughs> well, so, that's good. You don't want to have you don't want to have a good spot mixed in there at all. I, that would really throw me off. Yeah, yeah. we don't want to throw the cur- curve off here. Um, yeah. So what we're, t- wait, what we're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no. So what we're talking about is, is putting in drip tape and how oh, it's yes. going to restrict uh, your ability to do tillage. But you know, cover crops then become a part of that drip tape management for using using roots. Tillage instead of iron for tillage. Is that yes. the concept? Yes, and and one thing we're 
we're hoping to do is, is that as it stands now, this is about a 350 acre ranch, and I can only farm about 200 acres simultaneously because of water constraints. Okay. Um, so I have, I balance between the summer, summer crops, um, such as, uh, you know, Bermuda grass, alfalfa hay, alfalfa seed, and then on the other other acres, I usually try to rotate in. You had uh, winter wheat here last year. I had a winter wheat here last year. And, or you might do other other winter crops or, or winter hay or something like that. Right, right. So. Well, I'm sorry that that dust devil caught up to us there on the video recording. As we're learning how to do podcasts from the field, we're learning some of these challenges about uh, wind and noise and those kind of things. So thank you for your patience with that. Now, I've enjoyed getting to meet uh, Tristan, Isaac, and other growers there in the Yuma, Arizona area. Uh, the field we were in is about one hour east of Yuma uh, on the way back uh, just off of Interstate 8 in the Roll uh, area of Arizona. So it's uh, challenging. I mean, really high heat, really high ET, and very salty soils in, in the valley floor and then very sandy uh, porous soils where we were taking that video at. But I really uh, commend Tristan for the hard work that he's done in doing things differently. He's put a lot of thought into different things. He's done a lot of research and I, I just enjoy working with him. He's, he's got a great spirit and a great uh, mind uh, to think through things. And I hope that that you can see that other farmers are willing to do things differently and, and out of the norm and that encourages you uh, to be able to do things differently too and, and really be a, a hero for your local area that can uh, show folks that there is a better way to do things more profitably and a way that can sustain the soil and build the soil uh, for the next generation. After we shot that video uh, Tristan took me in the truck and we went up to another area and we got some photos of it but I introduced him to um, a uh, gentleman out of Mexico who's in the Chihuahuan Desert and he's done some amazing things by integrating grazing cattle in the desert and all he did was break the crust of the soil so that when they did get rains it would start coming in that was one little scarifying tillage pass that he made and then introduced cattle and they started grazing and the grasslands came back because that whole area was a grassland at one time and then due to our management styles we converted it into a desert and that's happening in many areas around our country and I know now in 2019 when we've had more rain than ever it's hard to uh, in most areas of the country it's hard to believe that we're desertifying uh, the area, but if you really look at the rainfall totals prior to this year, uh, what used to be normal at the 100th meridian for rainfall had advanced to the 90th meridian. So a lot of folks in western Kansas and, and those kind of things were, were pretty astounded by how dry it was getting. So after showing that video to Tristan of the cattle grazer in Mexico, which is, you know, similar temperatures and rainfall patterns in the Chihuahuan Desert, he took me around and we, he showed me a place where he had graded a field and coming out, they'd left the blade down and it just had lightly skimmed the surface and then went back in and it was this loop along the field and 
Uh, we'll hopefully post some pictures with the podcast here to where you can see that. And grasses had come back in that area where he had uh, just drugged the, the scraper blade outside the boundaries of the field so he put two and two together with that video and what he'd seen on his own observations to realize that wow this this can work so uh, he's on a journey to look at his farm in a more holistic uh, and a more how can you work with the resources that you've given better and uh, really really proud of the work that he's done now doing things differently isn't always without its challenges and we certainly had one of those uh, this spring after we had filmed the, uh, recorded the podcast that uh, a couple row unit uh, Sunco openers on his planter that applied the nitrogen two to three inches beside the row had somehow become bent over the winter, either forklift moving it or, or sat down on something. But it caused those to bend toward the row and put nitrogen right in the seed line on two of uh, the seven rows of his planter. So it looked ugly, a lot of heartaches and a lot of a lot of pain and a lot of uh, what are we doing? Are we doing the right thing? It took some time to diagnose, but we figured out what it was. But still, when you're trying new things and you have problems and you're always getting challenged by the neighbors. You know, it's uh, it can be a, it can be a real painful process, and it's not for the faint at heart because uh, Murphy's law does apply. You know, if something can go wrong; it will go wrong. But we learn from the process, and we adjust, and we know what we need to look at and and, and go for in the future. So it's uh, it's been great to be able to work with Tristan and Isaac, and in that area, and and overcome challenges and not only the soil and, and environment but challenges related to equipment which if the equipment's not right things can things can go wrong so moving forward looking forward to a time where we can uh, uh, you know continue to integrate cover crops and Tristan really wants to be able to take a cattle herd that he's partners on and bring out and graze uh, cover crops in those areas that can put more carbon in the soil and just growing, you know, a grain crop and possibly be able to uh, restore that soil and give it more water holding capacity versus just draining down immediately. So pretty neat to think about what all he's trying there. But then again, there's also challenges with food safety um, in that area where there's so much produce grown, uh, wild animals getting into canals or into fields or even domestic animals getting in canals and fields can cause major problems because uh, downstream effects from that water canal then will be such that people will uh, whole fields will have to be dissed under or rejected because of potential for uh, you know bacteria or, or E. coli those kind of things in the produce fields so Everything, uh, anytime you're looking at changing one thing in the system, you change the entire system, don't you? So we're here to help. We're here to guide. We're here to make sure that uh, you can be as successful as you can be, not only today, but setting up your farm, your fields, 
for success in the future. So I sure thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Aggie Merch Podcast. It's a joy to, to have you listening and hearing what farmers from around the country are doing differently to not only improve their yields, but to improve their fields and improve their lives. I'm Monty Bottoms, and this is the Aggie Merge Podcast. You have a great day.